Genesis chapter 2. And, uh, Russ did a great job just setting me up last week. Um, I'm so thankful for people who just faithfully preach the word here. We've had uh, people come in and preach, and we're going to have more even visitor preachers come. Next month, we've got a guy by the name of Scott Thomas that's going to be coming to preach for us. Uh, he's a former pre vice president of Acts 29 Network. Uh, man just loves Jesus. He's going to be preaching for us here uh, in December. We're going to have, I'm wearing the shirt right now. I'm not disrobing, I promise. Uh, but this is Gospel Community Church. Remember the church in Owensboro we've been talking about that uh, uh, ministers to, to deaf, the deaf community? Well, this is their church, uh, their church shirt, and uh, their pastor, Danny Hinton, is going to be coming to preach for us here in a couple weeks. It's just it's wonderful to be able to be a pastor and sit under faithful preaching. That, that is just, it's such a gift. So I'm just really thankful for that. Is this on, by the way? Sure. I think it is. Yeah, I think it is. Okay, we're good. Um, so we're going to be in Genesis chapter 2, uh, but before we go there, here's what I want to uh, do. I want to give a, a just kind of a picture of some bad marriages. And so if you're in a bad marriage and you guys fight all the time, you may understand and sympathize with some of these quotes. But William Shakespeare said this, the great theologian William Shakespeare said, Many a good hanging prevents a bad marriage. Okay, that's terrible. Uh, the famous preacher, God used uh, this man in spite of this man as he uses all of us in spite of us, not because of us. He's gracious and he can use, if he can speak through a donkey, uh, Balaam's donkey, uh, fortunately then he can speak through, through me uh, and he can speak through, through you. Uh, and he used this man by the name of John Wesley. Many of you may have, may have heard of him. Uh, God used him mightily, but uh, as much good work that John Wesley, God did through John Wesley on the mission field, John, John Wesley failed miserably at home. And this is not a good side to his character. Here's what he said about his wife, Molly. Finally, she left for good. I do not forsake her. I do not dismiss her. I will not recall her. Molly has left, and I will not go after her, he said. When she died, he didn't even go to her funeral. <laughs> didn't even go to her funeral. Talk about a bad marriage, right? I mean, you've got to hate each other a lot to not go to the funeral of your spouse. Um, so this is obviously an example of bad marriages. Then on the flip side, I want to give you an example of a good marriage. My One of my favorite uh, preachers of all time, his name was Martin Lloyd-Jones. He had a, a wife named Bethann. And here's what he said in a love note, love note to her. Thank you for your letter this morning. Though I am very angry that you should have been up till 11.30 p.m. writing it. I see that you're quite incorrigible. The idea that I should become used to being without you is really funny. I could speak for a long time on the subject. This is tongue-in-cheek back and forth. As I've told you many, many times, the passing of the years does nothing but deepen and intensify my love for you. When I think of those days in London in 1925 and 26, when I thought that no greater love was possible, I could laugh. But honestly, during this last year, I've come to believe that it was not possible for a man to love his wife more than I love you. I am quite certain that there is no lover anywhere writing to his girl who is quite as mad about her as I am you. Indeed, I pity those lovers who are not married. Well, I had better put a curb on things or I shall spend the whole night writing to you. Ever yours, my Lloyd-Jones. Uh, great marriages really are possible in this life. Uh, I, I am privileged to have one of those marriages. And I think many of you are in this room are privileged to have those marriages as well. Not perfect. Um, uh, of course, always room for growth. Of course, those who have been married the longest would, would willingly admit, yes, we have a great marriage, but there's always room to grow. I mean, that's just the product of living in the world that we live in. And I think for all of us, that should be a desire of us. I want to be a better husband, 
And if you're a lady, if you're a wife, you want to be a better wife. A uh, single person in the room, boy, girl, man, woman. Hear these things today because these are the type of things that you want to be looking for in a spouse as we walk through this. You don't want to marry a bum, ladies. And husband, you don't want to marry a girl who is an awful woman. You just don't. And they're out there. And so you want to marry the one that God has for you. When Eve, God brought Eve to Adam, He said this, At last, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And when I saw my Eve, it was this, At last, when I saw Jordan. And I think for all of us in the room, there should be moments when you met your spouse that you can look, look back to and you can just say, at last, I'm done with the dating world. I'm done looking. God's brought her to me. Or if you're a lady, God brought him to you. So this is what we're going to be talking about today. Implications for Great marriages are possible. Uh, I want to say this. Marriage is God's idea. As we see this today, it's so uh, easy to blow past the obvious that marriage wasn't just some sort of plan B. Marriage was God's idea. It was his plan. He designed it. And it's a good thing. We're going to see today that uh, the man was built and made to be a servant leader and the wife was built to be a helper. Uh, and so the man, here's what we need to know, is the man does not go to the woman to find strength. Okay? The man does not go to the woman. It should not be depending upon a woman to build or give him strength. The man should be, by God's grace, strong and going to a woman to offer that strength. So we should not be thinking, well, I just need to get a, a wife to, to straighten me out and, and, and keep me on the straight and narrow and to, uh, you know, and to just make me a better man. No, the, the role of the single man is to do life with God in such a way that when you come to the woman, you bring your strength and you offer strength to her. You don't just pull strength from her to make you a better man. Now, certainly that will happen. Through a wise man, I think we can say that God has used them to make us strong. Is that not the case? It's true. Are you a better man today because of God bringing this woman into your life? Yes, I hope so. <laughs> yes, I hope so. <coughs> Ladies, likewise, you do not go to the man to get help, although you will get help. You come to the man, God brings you to the man to bring help. You will get help, but God has brought you to the man to bring help. So your walk with God is about, and for single ladies, this is going to be the challenge. You need to put yourself in situations like being a church, church member where you are helping those around you. And just like for you single men, you need to put yourselves in situations where you are you're being a servant leader to those who are around you. You want to be a servant. You want to put yourself in situations that don't just require you to do whatever you want to do. You may need to get a roommate that's clean, that challenges you to be clean. <laughs> And it challenges you a little bit and pulls you out of your comfort zone of, of dirtiness and into cleanliness a little bit. So these truths are going to be helpful for all of us, I believe. But ultimately what we're going to see, even the best marriages, we're going to talk about in this one flesh. The best marriage, even, even in the worst marriage, God says that the two should become one flesh. But here's what the one flesh union of marriage points us to. The one flesh union of marriage, even the best marriage that's ever existed on this earth points us to a greater union. And that's what we're going to see at the end of this message. And I want to go ahead and put it in your mind because that's where I want you to go with this, where, where I want us to end up being. The, the Bible says that marriage, the marriage picture, the union of man and woman, is actually a profound mystery that refers to Christ and the church. Okay? So when we look at the best of marriages, when you think about all the areas of growth in your life, and when you uh, enter in the twilight years of your life, in your 70s, 80s, 90s, 
And your marriage, you look across the room at the spouse and you can say, you know what? There's still room to grow. The, the whole point of that is to point us to a, a perfect marriage, a perfect husband, the perfect husband, Jesus. And so this one flesh reality is going to tell us something and get us ready for the one flesh union of Christ and his bride. So first, we're going to look at the man. Look at verse 7 of Genesis chapter 2. We're going to look at verse 7, 8, and verse 15. Starting verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And going down to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work. And keep it. Okay, here's what I want you to know about the scene. Even in Eden. We see that God is in charge of Adam. Even in Eden. You see God's ability, even in Adam's freedom and innocent state, God does things to Adam. He makes a garden and He picks up Adam and He puts him in the garden. Now this brings questions to us because uh, we've all heard these questions before, I think. Uh, if, if you're like me, you're scratching your head and, and you're wondering, why did God put Adam in a garden? And why did He even put trees in the garden? Why did He put a tree of life and, and then a tree of knowledge of good and evil? Why did God do the things that He did in Eden? Okay, There's questions that we will never be able to answer. There are things that we will be able to answer like Adam's role in the garden, but there are all sorts of questions that we cannot answer. And let me just throw out a few of those real quick. Here's some things we cannot answer. Did Adam and Eve have a belly button? <laughs> real big brain buster, I know. But we can't know that. We're not told that. Why did God put a tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden and even make a, make a way for sin to be a possibility? We have no idea. We know that ultimately God created for His glory and for our joy, but we don't know why there are two trees. We, we, can't, we can speculate. We don't know exactly why. Why is sin an option? And then questions of the belly button. Uh, there, there are questions like, like that as you're beginning to think through the fall that we just have to, to just say, you know what, if, if we're to be honest, the Scripture doesn't tell us everything about Eden. It doesn't tell us everything about the mind of God of, of why He does or does not do what He does or does not do. And we've got to just be okay with that. But then we've got to dive in and say, okay, well, what does God tell us about Eden? And He tells us something about the man. He says very specifically in verse 15 that after He put the man in the garden, the man was outside of the garden, and God created the man, fashioned him, and put him in and said, okay, Adam, here's what I want you to do. I want you to work and keep this thing. You may have everything in this garden. You may eat of anything in this garden. Okay? You may, you may, you may. But, you're going to have to work and keep the garden. We see Adam doing this in verse 19 and 20. We see God bringing all the animals. So God's like, hey, hey, uh, whatever you are, elephant thing, go over to Adam. Adam's going to name you. Okay? Uh, all the ant, you know, go crawl over to Adam. Adam's going to name you. And Adam has this work to do in the garden of naming and having dominion over everything that is, that is there. So God is doing this, giving Adam work to do. And then Adam is to keep the garden. Okay, So keep carries with it a connotation of care. So Adam is to keep or care or cultivate. I think the King James or the New American Standard uses the word cultivate. Adam is to care for this garden. Adam clearly has work to do. 
Men are built and commissioned to keep and care for whatever is in the garden. So whatever would be in the garden, woman, here in a little bit, Adam would be responsible to work and to keep things right and to care for them in an orderly fashion. Now, when the woman would come along, what would Adam's responsibility be for Eve? Well, his responsibility would be those two words. It would be Adam is responsible to work and keep or care for his wife. This seems to be so simple, but yet it's so profound. His attention should be toward her, and his care should be in such that would cause growth and flourishing in her life. He would fight for her and protect her if there would be anything. He would, Adam would, be responsible, just like in actively naming the animals, he would be responsible for rejecting passivity and doing something. Now, there's kind of categories of men. There's the aggressive men, and then there's passive men. And then there's narrow categories when you begin to talk about those sorts of men. Uh, some of you may be the aggressive man. You're always looking to fight. You're always looking for the next hill to climb, the next mountain to, 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 to tear down. You're always looking for, for that thing. But then there is something in every man, even the aggressive man, there is elements of passivity. There's something that you avoid. Typically the things that you're not good at, you kind of imagine don't exist. Or things you don't want to do. Like somehow, I have selective sight. I can see things I don't want to clean. <laughs> what dust? That toilet smells great to me, baby. You know, selective sight, selective hearing. Um, men typically are really good at avoiding. We can tackle some things very aggressively. We can go after it. But then there's other categories where we're just like, nah, I just don't want to do that. A wife is not one of those categories that we can sit idly by with. In fact, there's nothing. We are to reject passivity as men. This is God's call to Adam. Actively work and keep. Work and keep. Work and care for. The direction of our heart to our wives should be these two things. Work and care for her. It's still our call. Our action is not first to ourselves and self-preservation and doing things in such a way that will give good return to us. This is unconditional activity toward our wives that we would work and care for her. Do you care for your wife, men? Practically. There's a great blog that I read uh, months ago. And it was a guy who said, uh, my wife divorced me because I didn't clean something. I forget what it was. His point was, in not cleaning the living room, let's say it is, he was over and over again for years saying, I don't care about you by his actions. And... What he had learned in his divorce is, what if I would have actually cared what she cared about? And this is our call. I'm stumbling forward in this, uh, friends. It's, it's amazing. Uh, with Jordan, simple, and she loves Jesus. She's, she's a simple and complex woman. She's wonderful in so many ways. And as we grow in our marriage, I'm learning new things about her, and then I'm also learning things that I don't know about her. Sometimes she wants me to hug her. And sometimes I'm thinking, I think I should hug her right now. And I go to hug her, and she's like, what are you doing? You know? like, and so it's a process, right? You're like, but yesterday I thought that was what you wanted me to do. You know? like, ladies and husbands, wives, it's coming, but I think we're in the same boat. So they men, right? Like, like, they're still confusing. You're like, what the heck? You know? I just... 
So we're still learning in this, but the, the goal is to never stop fighting for your wife. Don't get to the point where you just sit idly by and say, I don't care. Work and care. Pursue. Be active. We work and you keep. Single men, this is implication for you. Put yourself in situations, like I said in the intro of the sermon, that require you to serve other people. Get a roommate, be a member of a church, volunteer, serve. Don't just live for yourself. When you're in college, it's great because you, you know, you eat, and I don't know how I survived in college. I ate pizza rolls, Doritos, cookie dough, repeat every day. You know, live for myself, never clean my room, watch ESPN all day, played, played sports in the evening, uh, skip tests because I really needed to get ready for that. Uh, badminton tournament tomorrow. Um, you know, those sorts of ridiculousness. Okay, that I, I did the wrong thing. So for single men, the right thing is to put yourself in a situation that requires you to be selfless. Verse 16 and 17, we get God's covenant of works, and we're going to talk about that more when we get into Genesis chapter 3. But God gives a covenant to the man. The woman is yet not yet on the scene, but he was responsible for, and God expected him to, because in Genesis chapter 3, we see that Eve knew about what God told Adam here. So Adam did relay this message to her. But this message of a covenant that God makes with Adam gets on the table in verses 16 and 17. Here's what it says. God tells the man not just to work and keep the garden, but He commanded him this. You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day you eat, you shall surely eat die. So what is the first part of the command? It is not you can't, but it is you may. We've talked a little bit about this before. You may eat of every tree. God has already been so generous to him, giving him everything. Here, earth, Adam, garden, Adam, beauty, Adam, here, it's yours. And you may eat of everything that you lay your eyes on, except this one tree. Don't eat that. Don't eat that. And he says, if you eat of that tree, you will surely die. Well, this is vital information for him to know. And when Eve would fill the garden, when God would make Eve, it would be his responsibility, Adam's responsibility, to take this vital information because he cares for her and he's working for her and give it to her in a way that she would understand. It was his responsibility to re relay God's message to his one day bride and husband in the room, this is still, even with the fall, our responsibility. Okay, men, the message of God, the goodness of God, and the gospel of God, the gospel of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection in the place of sinners for the glory of God and for the restoration of the cosmos, it should be on our mouths and spoken toward our wives. It's still our responsibility as men to be a conduit of God's message of the goodness that He offers and brings and of the gospel that He gives us. We are conduits of giving that over and over again to our wives. We are gospel proclaimers to our wives in everything that we do. It is still our responsibility to work and care for her. That means it is our job to let our spouses know of the good news of the gospel over and over again. Your wife's having a bad day? Hey, baby, I love you. And again, I'm still learning this. I'm not using myself here as a positive example in everything. Okay? And in fact, if anybody ever does, run, because the preacher's preaching himself and not Jesus. So, by the way. Um, 
And so my responsibility, baby, and, and the way that I can, maybe it's a hugging kind of day. So you put your arm around. Okay? Maybe it's a, you know, keep a five-foot distance kind of day. I don't know. But finding the way to communicate, hey, babe, it's going to be okay. God has favor rest upon you. Think it's going to be okay. It's not always going to be this way. God's faithful. We're going to get through this. You're going to get through today. I promise. God's faithful and you can trust. Just breathe a little bit, baby. If God loves you and has made you your daughter, He can take care of this moment. Okay? This is the responsibility of us men. We are relayers of God's message to our wives. But at this point, there was still no wife. Only a gaping hole and a need for a woman in this man named Adam's life. Verse 18 says this. Then the Lord said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Verse 20. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not a helper, not found a helper fit for him. Verse 22. In the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. There was no helper fit for him. I wish I could remember the way Russ said it last week, because he said it really funny, and we could laugh about it if I was able to repeat it, but I can't. Um, but it goes like this. Adam is naming all the animals, and he's like, not one for me. Over and over again, all these animals, they're all given to him, but there's not yet a helper fit for him. And here's the irony of all this, and I love it. It's just so simple, and it's right before us. Adam needed help. Men, you need a lot of help. Single dudes need help. I needed help and I still need help. Is this not true? When Jesus talks about the Spirit coming, He said that a helper will come, the Holy Spirit. The dignity of having the same sort of title as, as God the Holy Spirit bestowed upon you is just beautiful. Ladies, you are to be a helper fit for Him. There was no helper fit for Him. This means clearly that He needed help. Husbands need help. Single men need help. We all understand this, hopefully, inherently. Men, we need help. If he was going to work and keep the garden, then he would need a help made to do it. It's a big job. So his call, work and keep the garden. Her call, be a helper to him. Now here's what's so neat about this, ladies. Catch this. Eve's job would be to help Adam... To live in such a way, be a helpmate to him in such a way that he, in turn, is better helped and equipped to care, work, and keep her. See this? This cyclical thing. not isolated. God would give Adam a helper and the wife distinctly was made and brought to the man to be a helper of Adam to work and keep or care for even his very wife. So ladies, God has intended your activity to not be isolated, but to come back to you. The way you help Him has ramifications for you. This also means that wives are to do this in such a way that the husband is able to better care for her. But it means this. Now catch this. I want you to catch this. Because there isn't a sense, and because of our world today, and because of the message that comes to everybody today, and ladies today, this is going to feel odd to you. It possibly will feel odd to you. But Eve's identity would be intimately 
tied into being a helper of Adam in what God has called Adam to do. Adam was called to work and keep the garden, and Eve was made and brought to him to help do this work. So there is this unique idea. So you can see this one flesh reality working itself out. This is no longer just identity as a man alone and or as ladies and identity as a woman alone. You don't have your own lives anymore. If you're going to be in this one flesh reality, it will be exactly that one flesh. And your identity, lady and ladies, as a helper, if you are married, and one day, this is why you need to get acquainted, ladies, already with helping, and why you need to get acquainted, men, already with being a servant, is because your identity, ladies, you're going to be brought into this. Eve was brought to Adam, and now her identity is caught up into his of working and keeping everything that he sees. Powerful. So the implication... Ladies, put yourself, single ladies, put yourself in this situation. Um, just say this for the, for the, you want to marry the one that God brings to you, the one that God has to you, has for you. And if you're married, you've married the one, one, by the way. In fact, I want you to see this um, before we get to Adam's delightful song about seeing his wife. Get this. In fact, let's just read it again, 21 and 22. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and when he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with its flesh, and the rib that the Lord, Lord God had taken from, from, from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Adam could not find a helper fit for himself. Okay, this is the story again of every man just going out and trying to find this woman. Uh, as he was sleeping, God brought his Eve to him. This is the kindness of God. I, I can think about this. For me, it's like, I, you know, chasing, chasing girls. You're in college. You know, you're like sophomore, junior, senior. You're like looking in, in my second senior year, my third senior year. Uh, you're like, look, you know, you're like, you know, checking out the new crop of freshman ladies that have been brought in, and uh, that's a terrible way to speak of ladies. Sorry, ladies, I don't see you as a crop. Um, and uh, but these girls, and you know, if you've been to college, guys, you know what I'm talking about. You know, you're just kind of like scoping them out, and you know, you're trying to chase girls. That's what you do in college, um, and it's, it's silly and foolish, and and nothing ended up working out. Just it just didn't work out. I dated a girl in college that was interestingly crazy, but uh, um, it just things didn't work out. And then all of a sudden, it's like as I was sleeping, and I was just—it's like God just did it. Brought me Jordan, and it just worked. And she liked me, and she was beautiful, and she loved Jesus. It just worked. He brought me my Eve, and it was beautiful, and it was wonderful. God made Eve out of Adam's side, and God brought Eve to Adam. This is God's idea, marriage. He came up with beauty, with romance, with butterflies in the bellies, with sex, with marital bliss. These all were God's ideas. Now, how wonderful is that? And now, I'm not saying that your marriage has not come with struggles for married folks. It's not come with times that were difficult. But when your marriage has been great, it's really great, isn't it? Laughter, companionship, fun, pleasure. Just being married is really fun. 
It, it just is fun. It's a gift. Those are God's ideas. Now, even if you're in a difficult season, you can remember back into seasons that were awesome. Well, go back there. Think about that. That's God's idea. That's His goodness too, the Adam and, to Adam and to Eve. And when God made Eve out of Adam's side and He brought Eve to Adam, here's the first recorded words in the Bible from a human being. Here's what Adam says. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she's taken out of man. The first recorded words of Adam are, is recorded of Adam just doting on Eve. Just finally, at last, yes, she is better than an elephant. She's better than a giraffe. She's better than a dog. She's better than a cat. She's better than all of that. Everything that crossed my eyes. I've not seen anything as beautiful as this. And he's doting on her. The first words from uh, recorded from Adam is one of just saying, At last, and every married man upon finding his bride understands Adam in this moment. At last, that beauty God has brought to me, Jordan to me, like, what? Praise the Lord. Like, I was wearing a cardinal hat every day. She liked band nerds. And I was like a sports guy, not wearing women's pants, and somehow God, God turned her heart, and we wondered, it was like in three months, and my father-in-law, I love him, but he's the most, one of the most intimidating men in the world, and only after three, three months, I go to him, and I was wanting to meet at Hardee's, and somehow, he's like, no, come to my house. And you know, my palms are sweating, I'm nervous, I'm thinking, he's going to kill me. It's only three months. And we go over there, and you know what? God worked in his heart. Like God worked in his heart in such a way where he's praying for me. This is, God did it. He made it happen. He brought us together. And often we look back and we think, like, she was young. I, would, I had no money. And God just did it. He made it happen. At last, God, you did it. Like, I'm not going to be single forever. Like, you did it, God. This is great. I'm going to have sex. <laughs> yes. So God is faithful. And you remember, man, you remember those moments when your bride, God brought you a bride, your eyes were open. You're like, yes, at last. You can put yourself in the situation of Adam. Eve is here. My Eve is here. Man, why, your wife is your Eve. If you're married, she's the one. Don't go down that nonsense road, husband and wife. Well, we just married the wrong people. That's why we're always fighting. If you're married, she's the one for you, period. Wife, if you're married, he is the one for you, period. No questions asked. No wondering, did I marry the right or wrong person? You married the right person. And you fight it out. You wrestle it out. You work it out. You make out. You make it work. Last one was better than the first three. You make it work. Single men, more implications. Wait until God brings you your Eve. And you will know she's the one because everything in you will declare deep from within your bones at last. At last. You'll know. You'll know. How? You'll just know. You'll know the one is here. Verse 24. Look with me. We're almost done. Verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. 
And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. As one preacher said, this is the verse in the Bible that's the favorite of every man in the world. That's a joke too. Naked and unashamed in a garden with bountiful food, with full delight. Like, what a wonderful picture that we have in verse 25. This is the story of husband and wife. Man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they should become one flesh. Let me ask you, we know about genetics now. A man or a woman and their parents share genetic qualities, right? Share DNA, whatever. Uh, I don't know what that means. They share DNA, right? Something like that. Now, it, it, only in Kentucky is it legal to marry somebody that you share your DNA with, okay? <laughs> Okay, joke. Um, Jordan and I don't share DNA. But there's no other relationship in the world that's defined as one flesh. You're not one flesh with your kids. You're not one flesh with your parents. You're one flesh with your, with your spouse. This is truly a miracle. It's bigger than genetics. It's by God's design. Two shall become one. Now, You've heard it said before probably, you must, men and women, you must leave before you cleave. For many of you, it takes years to leave your parents in the sense that it's the way things worked in your home. This is how we did things. We did it this way. It takes years and years and years to create your own traditions, to create your own way. It takes maybe a decade for some to leave. And leave doesn't mean never see your parents again. doesn't mean never call uh, your parents again. It doesn't mean not go on vacation with your parents again. But it does mean leaving the way you guys did things and creating a new way with your new one flesh relationship. You get your own traditions. You get your own way that God is working in you. You want to replicate all the good things on both sides of the family and let go of the bad things, but you want to create your own way. You leave and you cleave to each other. This is a call for married folks. God makes two people one and they're naked and not ashamed. This is the beauty of Eden. There's no shame in Eden. Not just for nakedness, but there's no shame of the heart. There's no hidden secrets. There's no shame to carry or walk around with. And friends, this is where we are going. There is a place better than Eden. The picture that Russ has been painting for us is so beautiful. It's better than Eden because it's got a lamb who was slain that we get to worship forever. Apparently, a heaven, Eden, without redemption is not as good as heaven with a lamb. And there is beauty untold for us, but we have an eternal existence awaiting us of no shame. It's beautiful. But until then, here's what we need to see. I want you to turn to Ephesians 5, to a passage that we've seen before. Say you're in a spot where your marriage is tough. It's just your struggle. It's not a happy time. It's a difficult time. Okay? Join the club. We've all been there. We will all be there at some point, I'm sure. And that's why we have to understand that the marriage union points us to a better union. Remember I said this is where we're going? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 and 32 says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Familiar? Yep. Just read it. Here's what he says. This mystery is profound. I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Way back 
in Genesis chapter 2, we have something that's referring to the greatest story in all the world, the story of Christ and His bride. Now talk about the beauty and the connectivity of the Testaments. Here we have the plan of God seen in Genesis chapter 2, proclaiming the gospel from Genesis chapter 2 already about a greater union that will come. All of this is just wetting our palate for the truth of a greater marriage to come. What's happening in Genesis 2 is this proclamation, unknown at this point, at that point, but seen clearly now of the good news of the gospel of Jesus, the faithful husband, and his unfaithful bride who he comes and makes beautiful. Even the best marital reunion reveals sin and brokenness. Here's what I want you to say. The best marriage out there, you look at each other and you're willing to stand up here and admit that we both still struggle with sin. And our marriage isn't what it could be. Okay? If this is a profound mystery and it's talking about Christ and the church, how are we supposed to understand the great marriage then? The beauty, this is the beauty of the plan of God, the unity of the Bible. Marriage, uh, it really does have a way of pulling selfishness out of you, does it not? Or revealing selfishness in you? Okay? It's just, it just does. It just has a way of you, it just pet peeves that kind of come up. You know, you've been there, annoying things. Why are your socks still on the floor? I'd like to use Jordan as a bad example there. I need to use me as a bad example. Um, or no, I'm the one who does that. Wait a minute, I got confused there. No, I'm the one who leaves the socks. Yes, I'm the one who leaves the socks. But in marriage, it just does that. It just reveals things about ourselves. And, just, and it just, even in a great marriage, it brings shame. Does it not? Like, why am I still doing that? Why am I still mean in that way to my wife? Why do I still understand? Why does it just, it exposes certain things. So we know that we need Jesus. We need a greater marriage. We need a greater union. And here is my hope for your marriage, folks. Because I want you to hear about the great and faithful husband. I want you to hear about his ability to transform your life and even your marriage. And I want you to hear if you're married, if you're a Christian marriage, this is God's promise to you. He's more committed to your marriage than you are. Okay? Here's Ephesians chapter 5. Starting verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. That's you, friends. Jesus loves the world, but He specifically targets you. He loves you and gave Himself up for His bride in particular. And are you His bride? Then this is what Christ has done for you. And what else does He do for His bride? Does it stop there? Oh, no, no. That he may sanctify her. Who? Well, Christian men who are married. That he may sanctify the Christian man who's married. What about the Christian woman who's married? That's his bride also. Well, that he may sanctify that Christian bride who is married. You struggling today, Christian wife? You struggling today, Christian marriage? Here's what Jesus committed to doing for you. Sanctify you. What about this? It goes on. Having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word... Bride of Christ, you've been cleansed. There's not a spot or blemish on you right now stand, standing between you and God. There's no barrier here as if you've got to bust your way through by your performances being a better husband or a better wife this week. There's nothing blocking you from His presence. He is with you. He has cleansed you by His blood. He cleanses you then that He might present you to Himself, present the church to Himself in spot, without, 
Okay, I forgot what lost my spot. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. This is Jesus' promise to you, man and wife. Hang in there because he's not done with you yet. He is perfecting you and cleaning you up, and he's going to present his bride, married husbands and wives who are united to him and in a one flesh relationship with each other. He is going to put them together, and he's going to wash them up, and he's going to present them perfect without spot or blemish or any such thing to himself. That is the faithful husband. That is powerful. And that is where we find our strength and hope and rest. Hang in there. Don't give up. He is faithful. He is committed to changing you, to working on you. And friends, this is not something that may happen. It's something that will happen. He has purchased a bride. And he will clean that bride up. And he will present that bride to himself without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. This is our hope. It's so my hope for your marriage. My hope for your marriage isn't you, men. My hope for your marriage isn't you, women. My hope for your marriage is Jesus. That's my hope for your marriage. Hang in there. Dive into this passage and wrestle and say, Jesus, how do you want to change me today? I want it today. I want to be more like you. Thank you for your forgiving word that you have cleansed me from all unrighteousness, that you've done this work. Now work it out in me. Help me. Jesus is perfectly committed to his bride. Now friends, this also is why Christians fight for the holiness and the sanctity of marriage. The, the truth of biblical marriage. Man, woman. Why? Because it's proclaiming some of the deepest truth in all of the universe. About a God, about a rebellious bride, and a God who loves this rebellious bride and changes her, works in her, and one day will present her without spot or wrinkle or any such thing to himself. Let's pray. Father God, thank you uh, that you invented marriage. It was your idea. I ask that you would help us uh, Jesus, I know that you're changing and working on us. Thank you that you've already, God, in your mercy, declared us righteous and forgiven. Now, God, what we're asking for the, for the men and the women in the room, and for the single men and the single women in the room who are on this journey looking for who you've called them to marry, or maybe you've called them to be single forever, I, I don't know. But, um, God, this marriage, we know, is, is just your idea. And so, God, I pray that for those you have declared righteous, that you would, in, specifically starting with the men, as a man, I want to change. I want to be a better husband. I want to be better at working and caring for those that are around me and for my, for Jordan in particular. And for the wives in the room, God, I, I, for, you've already declared them, if they're Christians, clean, righteous, holy, forgiven. Oh God, I pray that you would transform them to be more Christ-like in their marriage. Help us, God. We need your help. We're coming just dependent upon you. Thank you that you, Jesus, are committed as our faithful husband. Change us and transform us. You'll never give up on us. We just thank you for your design, for your goodness, your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.